You're listening to I Got That One. Presented by Tom and Yvonne. So, Yvonne, you remember when we went to go see uh, June, the 2021 version in cinema? And because we were seeing it in Switzerland, um, there was an intermission. And then when we came back, the first, because of the way it was cut, we just had a massive, like, bah! noise uh, as we sat down. And also an image of a gigantic sandworm. Indeed. So I no think um, up until that point, sure that, was the, that was the biggest heart attack I've had from a source of media. Oh, right. Okay. Um, it's now been supplanted by this absolute steal of a match by Emmanuel. I know, right? It was uh, down to the wire, keeping everyone on the edge of their seats. A very exciting episode of University Challenge. And it was Challenge. especially because this was such a slow burn for most <laughs> of the match. Yeah. Where both teams were really, really struggling with the bonuses. And, you know, credit to them. They were really, really difficult. I know. I feel like the difficulty was kind of turned up a notch this time. Yeah. Maybe it's because uh, both teams have won one, lost one. They're now really just, you know, trying to separate the wheat from the chaff at this point here. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. But, you know, both teams are really, really struggling. And it looked like, okay, maybe Kings is going to win out just because they got a little bit of a lead at the beginning. You know what? I think they could have that final buzz from Satyanath. I think he had the right answer. If yeah. it had just come two seconds uh, earlier, I think Kings would have won. It's just crazy. Yeah, and this is where some, you know, conspiracy theorists might be saying, oh, you know, Ooh. because Paxman started to really slow down the last couple <laughs> of seasons. If this had been 2006 Paxman, who really is, you know... Oh, yeah. It, things would have gone differently, yeah. Yeah, I think that there would have been a few extra seconds cut off mm. and I might have been able to pip him over the edge. Pip, yeah. So... I think I can honestly say that both teams deserved to have won this. Mm-hmm. And it was just the luck of the draw of how these uh, bonuses went. Yeah, they were very, very difficult. But then I think also it was low scoring. Mm-hmm. So first time that uh, in these quarterfinals that a team has not cracked 100. Yes. So I don't know if that was because the questions were just that much more difficult. Or um, if one of these teams that makes it to the semifinals will just have their work cut out for them. Because we have some very, very strong teams now coming in. It's kind of tough because whilst we have seen uh, Kings have a bit of a hard time to get um, high scores uh, in previous ones, Emmanuel have consistently been pretty high scoring. Because remember, they were one of the best scoring losers, had 135 and they've... Which was as high as, uh, yeah, many of the winning... uh, That was higher than what Kings managed in their win in the first episode, if you remember. So I don't think it's necessarily that this is a weakness of the team. It's just that we've had a snapshot of just how tough these questions are going to be. I know, yeah. And there were some, I think, truly mean questions, almost. I know, we'll we'll get to that in our question segment. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, so let's just talk about the performances. And I think... What really set aside uh, Kings from the others was just a very unique kind of charm that was brought because of the kind of Captain that Rashid is. Yeah, okay. Just this wonderful loving force, yeah. which compounded by the fact that he has probably the best voice I've heard on <laughs> uh, TV in a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it bears repeating because it is, you know, we've had BBC presenters who've been doing this for 20, 30 years. Yeah. You can't hold a flame. So. Yeah, well, you know, if, if University Challenge uh, doesn't go well for Rashid, he's got a career in news casting. Well, you know, Bobby Siegel got his start on University Challenge. He's now a presenter. Yeah. Eric Monkman um, of fame also, also has his own uh, TV show. Yeah, so okay. it's possible. Yeah, I mean, possible. you start to get a little bit of media training from taking part in this. So 
I feel like there is a future in uh, broadcast for this man. I think so, yeah. I mean, could you imagine him on Radio 4, which is famously a very kind of middle class, he, kind of calm, collected... He studies philosophy, right? Yes. I, I think there is a fit. I feel like a lot of philosophy majors, uh, one field that they go into is media. Yeah. So, yeah. Or maybe he could become a politician and we... <laughs> I mean, that would be a waste of his talents, but people would be willing to listen to whatever he has to say. Yeah, and then, I mean, speaking of players as well, I have to say MVP, um, to me, really goes to Thate and Ruthel, uh, because uh, for, for Thate on that chemistry question, um, I think it was a chemistry question. I couldn't wrap my mind around it was what a chemistry it question. was. It was about uh, the layouts of electrons. Yes. Which, from what I remember from learning this in school 15 years ago... Something about covalent bonds or how Yeah, because um, electrons will form two, first two in the first circle and then and it'll be eight, eight for every subsequent one yeah. outside. Oh, yes, that's so, right. So um, you can... And then you have these special diagrams because each yes. chem... This is what separates a uh, chemical often from its uh, next neighbor is just the number of electrons, uh, electrons it has. That it can. So, but yeah, then also that was... the, the form of the nucleus, yeah. Yeah, excellent, excellent. From, from what Thate. I remember, yeah. Excellent from Tate. I thought, you know, he got all of those. And then from Rathel as well, I think there was a, a question on languages mm-hmm. um, that he, he knew really well, uh, dropped one there, but still really well done. So MVP to those two. Absolutely. But also on the King's side, I have to say that Bedwin has yes, proven that she's just been this kind yeah. of almost under the radar uh, powerhouse for Kings. Yeah, this consistent, reliable force, right? Yeah, fantastic buzzer, often supplying uh, the correct answers when yeah. it comes to the bonuses. Yeah, absolutely. Satya Nath had his uh, real, you know, Moments of brilliance, I have yeah, to say, yeah. including a really stellar choice of shirt for uh, this know, episode. Wonderful, wonderful shirt. But I think what I've really been impressed by is Beard in the last few episodes. Yeah, I think I have to say Beard really also um, impressed me this time. Uh, lots of right uh, right answers. I think mm-hmm. he really kind of stepped up in that tricolor flag question. Unfortunately, none of them came to oh, pass, but it was a, a great effort. I don't think. you worry. We'll be talking about questions oh, yes. in a second, but. Yes. I just to say that even though they've never been the highest scoring of teams, they've always been really pleasant to watch, Kings. Yeah. And I think I will miss them when yeah. they're no longer in the semifinals. Yeah, me too. But they really tried very hard. And, you know, quite a few people kind of wrote them off um, early on. Yeah. I think in some ways we were one of them. But, they, they you know. They beat out so many other teams to make know, it here. So They really stuck it to Hartford College in the second round. Mm. And I think that, you know, they were the ones who knocked out Birmingham as well. Oh, yeah. So this is a team that, you know, when you think that they're down and out, they uh, come uh, ratcheting back in. And maybe, you know, it also comes down to having a very good captain that trusts you and kind of, yeah, has a good relationship going on. But yeah, yeah, lots of factors. Honestly, effective leadership goes a long way in teams. From university challenge to football teams where you think maybe on on paper the stats are not magnificent but then you have one charismatic person in the center really brings it all together absolutely on the other side emmanuel i have to say that this is a blip in an otherwise fantastic trajectory from that team yeah 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 true and i honestly think it's nothing wrong with how they perform because i thought that they were communicating very well trying their very best yeah malcolm good as a captain as always yeah willing to listen on both sides but then also prepared to step in in quite a few times yeah yeah. but then also stepping in when she feels like a bit of conferring isn't going the right way yeah so when Fatih was kind of maybe again a bit confused with the mesoamerican round yeah she was very clear to know that's that's not that and just making sure that no time was wasted because often every second counts when it comes to these ones no absolutely very important especially when you're behind and i think it's just because these bonuses were diabolical (laughs) i know right 
truly just oof mm. um, now I'm not going to be too harsh about it because we're now being followed on Twitter by one of the question setters oh yeah hi Lillian thank you very much for well, following I mean, us it's a compliment to the question setter I think absolutely if put together something like that um, yeah some of these were really stumping me yeah so let's talk about those absolutely it's now time to talk about questions and, so um, that flag question I think we're going to be spending most of this uh, segment <laughs> talking about it because... I wonder if Zeng would have gotten those. That's the thing. I think that he might have, but he really would have had to have worked for it because yeah. the way it worked was for those of you who didn't watch the episode while well, you listen to this, but whatever. Um, you had the map of three different countries and these are all countries with tricolor flags. Yeah. And then with little arrows pointing at which... The band. Which band it was referring to. You had to get each... Of and, those bands. And then put them together to form a new flag. And then and try identify and guess the country. based on that. So it's difficult because I, I think for, for lots of people, we generally know the colors that go into a flag. For example, the flag of Germany, black, yellow and red, um, that sort of thing. But then when you need to identify exactly where on the flag those colors are, that's when you get thrown for a loop. And then not only that, you have to piece them together so it was really, really difficult. Valiant effort from, uh, I would say, Beard especially. Uh, but yeah, it was um, it was good. It was a tough one because it requires so much thinking out. And it requires not just geography, but good, you know, flag knowledge. And then being able to kind of abstractly put it together because yeah. you can't draw it out. You, I'm not sure if you have pen and paper supplied to you when you're doing this. Yeah, I don't think so. I feel like we've not seen it. Yeah, because that. whenever they have uh, mathematical questions, they're asking you to do it kind of mental arithmetic wise. Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, um, I think that even our uh, erstwhile uh, Singaporean would have <laughs> taken at least uh, a few seconds. Yeah, I wonder. Guess. I wonder. I really do uh, how quickly he got those. But yeah. But I think. That uh, that one took so long, and you can tell mm. that this was a fairly low-scoring one because mm. normally, if there's a quite a lot of conferring going on, they'll very slightly start editing out the parts which are taking a little bit too long. Yeah. For this one, I feel like they didn't edit any of the conferring at all because I think all of it was necessary. Yeah. And it was it was on the right track as well. It wasn't just them kind of shooting around and fig- trying to figure out. It, they all were on the right track. It's just not quite. And I think that's why they kept all of that in. Yeah, speaking of, I noticed that there were plenty of moments where previously you would have heard Paxman say, come on, or try and hurry him up. Yeah, he didn't do that this time. In fact, we've not heard him ever since there's been that slight change in um, filming style. Okay, well, conspiracy theory. I don't know, it might just be that they edit out uh, him saying that because, you know, maybe (laughs) it seems comes across a little bit mean or... So no, forth. But then again, before, he did but... call the King's team pathetic during the second picture round. So... I love how Rashid responded to that, just going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I think we should talk about the second picture. And that's another mean one because it's about stills from a very particular genre of movies directed by yeah. one particular British director from, I assume, is the 40s and 50s. Yeah, and they also had very interesting titles. Yes. So maybe that was the, the, the connecting thread between all of them as well. But uh, yeah, the team, I think it was Kings, they got none of those. And I mean, okay, maybe you could say that part of preparing for university challenge is to mm-hmm. start to have some understanding of classical movies yeah. but I feel like the kitchen sink is the niche of niche what is the kitchen genres. sink genre is it kind of everything but the kitchen sink 
type of approach or no because they look like they're very i feel like it's well you know what i just googled it yeah apparently the kitchen sink genre is a british cultural movement that developed in the late 1950s mm-hmm. in um yeah films where protagonists usually could be described as angry young men who are disillusioned with modern society i would never have guessed from the title you know what actually that's interesting because maybe when you're talking about you know the phrase throw everything but the kitchen sink at it and that could be referred to you know very specific male rage where you want to just throw stuff at the wall <laughs> out of impotent anger yeah or it could be just uh, focusing primarily on the trials and experiences of the urban working class maybe and i guess a lot of conversations happen around the kitchen sink when you're either preparing dinner or uh, cleaning up after dinner yeah, kind of stuff i suppose that sort of thing maybe changing gender roles um, kind of being squeezed as a middle class, all these things do tend to bring out um, like what we've seen, um, anger in a lot of men, especially middle class men. So I don't know, it could be that. It's interesting because the late 50s was a very interesting period for British feminist, history. Feminist movement was around the time as well. That too, you had, you know, uh, the Windrush generation, so a lot of uh, yeah. cheap labour coming in from the Caribbean, yeah, exactly. which is probably feeding into certain disenfranchisement feelings, which are, you know, whether they are valid or not, it is something that very much was the case. Mm. And the collapsing of uh, the feeling of empire, where you film a superpower, now you're being relegated to, at best, a regional power. <laughs> and, you know, they had a real embarrassment with Suez a couple of years before that, which yeah. led to uh, the downfall oh, yeah. of Anthony Eden. Absolutely, so absolutely. You learn a lot about... Um, you history know, history by looking culture, at the kind of media that media. is uh, presented. Yeah, no, that was really interesting. I, I enjoyed that. Good yeah. on the question setter for that one. No, it's a very excellent question, but you know, I can't imagine a lot of twenty-year-olds know very much about kitchen sink movies. I know. Yeah, I mean, I think we see repetitions of that today as well. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be interesting to know how long this has been around um, and what we can tie it to as well. Yeah, what's interesting though is that Kara Malcolm was able to at least guess one of those movies, so yeah. maybe she does have a knowledge of it. Yeah, possibly. So who knows? Which is impressive, yeah. Maybe Emmanuel would have been slightly more successful if they got it. Possible, yeah. Um, speaking of um, challenging ones, the music round, normally we don't really talk about it very much. Yeah, especially but, if it's opera. Yeah, but this one I think was interesting because of the theme around it. Yeah, so operas that ruin their composer's reputation. Yes, which is interesting because, you know, often if you're not really kind of versed in classical music, you just think, oh, this is, you know, classical music. Of course, everyone loves this, or at least boring people like it. But, you know, it could be controversial. You know, the marriage of Figaro uh, very nearly ruined Mozart's career yeah. because it was a very kind of anti-establishment. No, for sure. And considering maybe, you know, even today we see that it, it's artists that mainly push the boundaries and challenge mm-hmm. social norms. So interesting to see how it was also happening back then, what the social norms were um, and how these artists challenge them through their music. I thought that was really fascinating to think about. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the most equivalent would be in terms of tarnishing a musician's reputation. Because... Well, I think now when you have, for example, a lot of maybe male singers that mm. um, objectify women. I think that's, you know, they cancel almost immediately now. To be fair, Robin Thicke never made a uh, hit song after Blurred Lines. Yeah, because he was cancelled. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, more because he uh, had a messy divorce and then he tried to okay. win her back with a terrible song. But... Yeah, <laughs> you know how what I'm saying is. Yes, uh, those, I get the point. Uh, th- that's the kind of example that we see more of today. But. Um, Let's talk about other questions which maybe we enjoyed. Now, there weren't very many because there were only uh, so many sort of questions that were answered. But I quite like the one about pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. Oh, yeah, that was cool too, yeah. Yeah, we're definitely seeing more and more of these questions about pre-imperialist, pre-colonial 
are very important societies mm. uh, even though they might have been imperial in their own way so for example everyone knows the aztecs pretty much right yeah. they are quite famous they have the most lasting kind of cultural impact on modern mexico for sure yeah. with uh, dia de los muertos and uh, the quinceanera uh, thing as well mm. but you know the um olmecs the totecs they were all these you know big civilizations kind of rose and fall in that part of america mm. yeah they're fascinating really yeah absolutely um i i also thought that sometimes we don't understand or, or we understand very modern contemporary history True. and that shapes our understanding of superpowers and and you know but when you go further back you realize how long civilizations have existed where a lot of indigenous knowledge comes from how much has been erased um and from whom so i i think it's important that that these types of histories get platformed indeed i mean uh, just one last thing i want to mention is that we think about the aztecs as maybe this having that happened a long time ago the Aztec Empire only lasted about 200 years yeah. give or take yeah. they're actually very very recent relatively whereas the Olmecs were 2000 years ago they were you know mm. Uh, at the same time as the Roman Empire and yeah. the Han Dynasty in China. Yeah, and to think, you know, they, they I wonder if they, they met and they traded. I mean, they, we have records of trades happening between um, between countries, well, maybe not 2,000 years ago. I'm not completely sure. But I mean, there's, there's, would have been interesting. there's some interesting conversation around that, but that's mm. fascinating and maybe too much than what we have time for in this <laughs> particular episode. So shall we move into some stats? Uh, yes, let's talk about some stats. Okay, so Stats Corner brought to you by UC Stats. Of course, um, as yes, always. of course, very you know, low scoring match 80 to 85. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, when you look at correct um, starter questions from Emmanuel, six out of 13, and mm-hmm. Kings also six out of 14. And then in terms of bonus questions, also very, very similar, Emmanuel managed six out of 18. And Kings, uh, 5 out of 18. So really, um, like we said at the beginning, came down to the wire. Uh, both teams, about 40... Well, Manual Cambridge, 46% on their startup questions compared to Kings, 43 um, And then really, you know, when it comes to the bonuses, it's yeah. kind of the lowest that we've seen so far. Emmanuel, 33%. Um, and Kings, unfortunately, 28%. Yeah, those numbers... Um... Of course, if you were just going by pure statistics, you think, oh, this is quite concerning. But I think it's just a case of maybe we were not quite prepared for just how difficult these questions were going to become. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember there being a jump in difficulty in previous seasons, but maybe this is a new formula they're, they're playing with. It's possible there might have been a shake-up in uh, the type of questions being asked. and a new staff on the question setters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is important to regularly refresh uh, these kind of things. You can't keep things as they were the whole time. We do need to evolve, uh, both culturally and uh, societally. And, you know, we are talking about uh, things that do need to change about Universe Challenge, specifically representation and the diversification of people who take part. I think this series has done so much better on that Absolutely. And I think that also needs to happen uh, backstage. It's the producers. It's the people who are writing the questions. Mm. It's... uh, you know, the programming stuff needs to have mm. a diversification on that side as well. Absolutely. So yeah. maybe this is what we're seeing. And, and that will also attract more kind of women and students from different parts of the world also to, to join and to sign up. Um, Ab- so that's, I think, always a good thing. Absolutely. And honestly, I will happily take lower scoring uh, matches if we have truly, truly tough questions <laughs> that make me really sit there and ponder. Yeah. And then, you know, even more impressive when people get the right answer. They manage to work it out. Um, really props. Absolutely. So um, right. 
enough uh, musing philosophical. Let us start looking at something slightly more skin deep, which is the best dressed yes. of uh, this episode. Mm-hmm. So we ran a poll. Yes. And the winner of that poll was... Was Malcolm. Yeah. With 44% of the votes. Yeah, I thought she was looked very fetching in mm-hmm. her kind of striped orange cream black ensemble there. Very nice. Very striking, especially with her, her hair. Kind mm-hmm. of red hair. I thought it went really well. Absolutely. I thought she looked great. But I have to say that... Um, the entire Emmanuel team were either yeah. pulling amazing knitwear or just really striking colors because I know, yeah. Fate with that amazing deep red, red shirt. shirt. I think it worked really well wow. on him. Uh, yeah. Rathel also in the kind of blue. Uh, knit jumper I thought actually it was very nice he was I kind of channeling uh, what Brecker was bringing to the table on the Trinity team yeah. a little bit yeah, that kind of bit. Norwegian Scandinavian style knitwear yeah. well but then I have to say my best dress actually goes to Pullinger yes because I did you know while Malcolm's uh, jumper was really kind of striking um, I do kind of have a preference for slightly muted mm-hmm. colours so with her kind of black top with kind of orange print going on with the necklace I thought that was um, my favourite overall I I think it was a dress because of just oh, yeah, just the shape of the shoulders as well made it look like it was a full body affair yeah but possibly yeah looked fantastic yeah. but also on the other side yeah Rashid was uh, looking debonair as always yeah, now that he's dropped her his uh, cricket uh, jumper yeah I thought Satina's uh, shirt was uh, really popping oh it was brilliant yeah. honestly pimping very nice yeah personally I feel like he was my best dress just yeah. because of just the big jump from what we've seen previously I know, I know. and it's brave to wear such a loud shirt and yeah. not just you know, wear it but pull it off was I know yeah he did a good job truly there. fantastic yes. so, um, so yeah there we go I think this was a tough one to um, uh, adjudicate uh, personally but yeah those are how it went. So, Malcolm, you won a popular vote, <laughs> uh, but we had to split our personal votes. Um, yeah, so we have three best dressed uh, this week. Yes, you can all put one hand on this imaginary trophy if Unprecedented. you Unprecedented. Absolutely. All right. So that is it. We have one more uh, quarterfinal match left. Phew. And that is going to be St. John's versus Reading. Yes. And that is going to be an interesting one mm. because uh, both teams very strong, very very, very strong, strong yeah. in their own way, and this is really going to be uh, the proof in the pudding yeah, for two strong teams, two strong captains. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, Hutchinson and Co versus uh, Chan and Co. Yeah, I can't wait. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Uh, but if you have other things you want to talk about with us, you know, do you really uh, object to our best dressed, or do you have thoughts about <laughs> our new question? Yeah, uh, what types? do you think about these new questions? please feel free to drop us an email we're on igtopodcast at gmail.com and even uh, find us on twitter we're at uh, I got that one indeed thank you so much for listening but until next week it is goodbye from me and goodbye from me